Hey yo, we about to tear it up. Yo, break for break, break for break, get drunk. This right here is how we do it. Break it down. It's the Breaking Actions podcast where we break things down to the very last compound. My name is Sumit, a.k.a. the potty mouth of the South. And my name is Chris Mitchell, a.k.a. the actual factual. This is one of those episodes we don't talk to each other. We just no. get straight to it, right? No. You're good? You're good? <laughs> yeah. No, nah, no, nah, I'm not good, but we'll just get straight to it. All right, say, um, say. Leave a bit of intrigue. A little bit of intrigue, you know. Ooh, something's wrong with Sumit. No one cares. Anyway, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I think... It's very important as a, as a platform that um, documents the culture that we speak to people who are very much part of its ascendancy, especially in the wow, 90s. Wow, wow, wow. Man said ascendancy. Is that a real word? Yes, it is. That's hard. Uh, I just, I just made hard. it up. No, no, but no. no, no. It if you made it up, it should be a word. It's a word yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Shakespeare can do it. Why can't I, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's very important that we do that because while we can get very bogged down with, oh, we need to interview this person, this person, clicks, likes, blah, 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 blah. Names. Blah names and oh they did this or we've got to do this all that bollocks yeah the most important thing is that we remain true to the culture and we speak to those who have shaped it um and some people especially we have a lot of um you know listeners in in southeast asia in africa um obviously in canada and and everywhere else where we you know we've 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 racked lyrical before but it's important to go back to the essence and danny castro and anthony marshall have been in the business for over 30 years and they created something that was well, epic, never be done before. It's one and of we one. came up on it, and we came up on it's it. Part of and our, it's part of our cultural DNA for sure, and it's part and it's part of many of the artists that we hear today. It's part of their cultural DNA, whether they know it or not. That's right. The common thread. A maximum respect for everything they've done in the culture. Word. Uh, but this is just a brief look into their story. This is the Lyricist Lounge, Breaking Atoms podcast. Check it out. It's a very special episode of the Breaking Atoms podcast. We're going back to the 90s, and when we talk about 90s and staples of 90s hip-hop, we often talk about Stretch and Bob, we talk about Uncle Ralph, but we also have to talk about the Lyricist Lounge. And two people have made their mark in cultivating an incredible scene that propelled the careers of so many. And one of those people with us today is Anthony Marshall of the Lyricist Lounge, celebrating their 30th anniversary in the game, Anthony, how you doing? You wrapped up warm. <laughs> What's happening? What's happening? We are very, very glad to have you here. Um, the mm. Lyricist Lounge and uh, stories of that um, come up in conversation between me and Chris all the time. Um, obviously, we we bought the the, the CD, the vinyl. Um, it's it's a staple, and I think it's like I said in the in the intro. Stretch and Bob get mentioned, Uncle Ralph gets mentioned, rightly so, but also you and Danny Castro should be mentioned as well um, for, for the incredible work you did in, in, in setting up so many different careers um, as part of this of this thriving scene, uh, the Lyricist Lounge. Um, congrats on the 30th anniversary. How did that go? Man, it was incredible. It was incredible. It was a culmination of a lot of years, uh, a lot of, you know, blood, sweat and tears, as they say. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, we've worked with all three of those legends before Slick Rick, uh, Rakim and KRS-One. I haven't really worked with Jazzy Jeff, who was our host at the time. But I think the, the, the most beautiful thing of it was also doing it in such an established venue, you know, like the Kennedy Center, you know, smack dead in the middle of D.C., um, you know, a prominent, prominent venue, over twenty four hundred people sold out event two weeks, three weeks before the event. 
uh, it really just showed how much our brand has matured, you know, and then just also to see the audience, you know, as, as adults, you know, we, we all got into this shit really young and to see these people who have kind of rode the way with us now as adults, you know, some of them as grandparents, you know, as young grandparents, uh, it was just beautiful to see hip hop in the building. Wonderful. Um, let's start at the beginning uh, and talk about the importance of Charles Thompson. You mentioned him in, in, in the vinyl. Oh, wow. You've talked to him about, about many times in, in interviews. Let's talk about the importance of Charles Thompson uh, for those who don't know. So Charles Thompson was and is uh, our first mentor. Uh, we were, me and Danny were about 16 years old. Danny was going to high school with his son, Michael Thompson. And, you know, just like any other kids just getting into trouble, you know, we had just uh, did a two-week bid uh, after stealing clothes. We were part of this, this, this crew called the Low Lifes. You know, we went and stole some polo gear and got caught and did two weeks. And while in there, you know, we had this talk like, yo, man, when we get out of here, we can't do the same shit again, you know? Um, even though I came out and did the same shit again the next day and got caught. <laughs> but after that... <laughs> we then got up with our mentor, Charles Thompson, and he sat us down and, you know, was like, you know, walked us through it. Like, yo, what do y'all want to do? If you want to get in the industry, I can help. And by the way, I have a small space on Orchard Street in Lower East Side. And if you guys want to use it, you can invite some young people and I'll invite some music industry people and let's see what happens. And man, we've, we've stuck with that for 30 years. You know, that same concept of just getting young you know, up and comers in the room with music industry folks, and let's see what happens. Nice. And you, you it started off as a session, and then went into the lyricist lounge. What, what was the evolution of that? Started at us just having a lot of friends and kind of, you know, I went to high school with most deaf, and you know, between being young club kids, going to the village all the time down, you know, near West Fourth Park. You know, there was always these ciphers that were happening. A lot of you can Google it and see it on YouTube, but these ciphers, you know. We're starting to get, at least in the eyes of the police and, and the government, maybe a little out of hand. You know, these clicks of folks just getting up and hanging out was a little too much. Giuliani, I think at that time, it just come into office and was really this whole cleaning up of New York. And so perfect timing, we had this space. And so everyone really just kind of left the ciphers in the streets after being pushed away from the cops, came indoors to what we have. And then after a while, it was like, okay, we can't just, we can't just have all these people in this space. You know, we quickly grew out of hand uh, and then it was time to move on to venues. Once in at venues, we continued doing open mics, but said, all right, we need to, you know, up our talent. How do we filter through our talent? And that's where the idea of creating a showcase came in. And we started screening demos uh, and in a lot of ways actually pushed a lot of the underground in the early 90s to get in the studio and get their demo together you know, which I feel actually led to a lot of deals happening because you can't just walk in the label with no demo, you know. But at that time, it wasn't about the labels. It was really just getting on a stage, you know, just working your shit out, seeing if you personally really had it, not even about the crowd, you know, all the shit you were doing in your bedroom in the mirror. Like, does that shit really make sense on stage, you know? And I, and I think for a lot of people that that proved to be true. The open mic cue must have been crazy. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, bro. Annoyingly, annoyingly crazy. No, we would do a, a pre-open mic, then we would do the showcase, and then we would do another open mic after. It was just, we were doing too much. Wow. You know, we were doing too much. It'd be 20, 20 people on the pre, 40 people on the post, you know, 10 showcases, showcases in between. 
you know, like a full four mm. hour show, you know, a full four hour show. And so we, you know, it was like a mini concert, like a mini indoor festival mm. to a certain degree. I can imagine you, um, the MCs were spitting like 200 bars a piece. Especially you remember back in those days, it would fit every single word in the dictionary in yeah. one verse. Right. So, you know, you know, it was all in there. Um, but yeah, man, beautiful days, man, beautiful days where, where folks were really doing it for the love, really doing it to, to hone their skills, really doing it to sharpen their shit, you know, and you were respected because of how, of how, you know, dope your lyrics were versus how many records you sold. Right. So I know you talk about demos and and showcase, and this is, this would have obviously brought out A&Rs. Um, to come to the Lyricist Lounge. And, um, mm-hmm. One of our favorite A&Rs, a friend of the show, Scott Free. Uh, he's, been, he's been on the show. Yeah. Um, he used to grab the mic and, and say some things. Can you remember what he, what he would say? Uh, I don't remember his lyrics, but he definitely, before he was A&R, he was an MC. And so in those early days of 45 Orchard Street, he was there. He would hang out with, uh, uh, what they call Aguilar now. At, in those days, he was, uh, he was Adolf the Assassin. Um, but you know, there was just, we were all young kids, man, just hanging out with each other, but yeah, Scott is a good dude, Scott, Maddie C, you know, and just to connect those two, Matt, Maddie C also known as Mad Life, you know, who was a part of the source magazine, the 1.0 source magazine, when they first started ran unsigned hype. And so, you know, he was someone that we would go to, to get put on to new artists. Uh, and the way he explained it, actually, one day, I guess we just walked in the office, like, you know, just trying to talk to somebody and they pushed us to him and he introduced us to Mob Deep. They were like 16, 17. Uh, and then he also introduced us to Kirk Burroughs, who worked at Bad Boy. And, and we, you know, created the whole Bad Boy connections because we ended up doing their launch party in 93. Dope, dope, dope. So, so it, it was a beautiful evolution. But yeah, the A&Rs were in the building. We really didn't cater to them at all. Uh, we really just catered to the artists, but they were there and, you know, they did what business they needed to do. And, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, man, like we, we weren't, um, we weren't that involved on the label side and on the signing side. It's like, we just did it to get people on stage. Like what happened after that was really their business. We never asked for, we never had people sign agreements you know, where you would give us a, a finder's fee if you got noticed at our showcase or none of that. It was, we really were just doing it out of the love to get people on. Um, and so there were a lot of deals done. There were a lot of conversations had. There were a lot of connections. There were a lot of love relationships, you know. Alicia Keys meeting her, you know, first, uh, one of her, I'm uh, not her first boyfriend, but like uh, Crucial Keys who ended up doing a lot of music for her and, they ended up being, you know, intimate, intimately involved um, through, from her words, you know, through some interview I read back in the day, like they met there. So it was beautiful things like that happening beyond just the music. It was people really meeting and, and starting families. And, you know, it, it was a real community, you know, from the, from the most smart person in the room to like the most crazy person who just came home from a 10 year bid. It was like the full mix of it all. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I didn't know that Alicia Keys has been around for a minute then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. That's the beauty of New York, though. Just like London, just like a lot of these cities. It's, it's all these inner workings, all these inner connections and things that are happening. And You know, we don't see them, but these stars all around us. Been, they've been sitting there. 
You know, it's just one day somebody really believes in them, and now all of a sudden they're picked out of the crowd. But they've always been there. So um, I love my stories. Did Q-Tip try to get Puffy to sign most Def at Lyricist Lounge show? <laughs> Again, another one of those things where we were probably dealing with the door and people getting in. And a lot of these things happened all around us. I didn't even know that story until I heard uh, who told it. Questlove mentioned it. And actually, Moses' uh, brother, DCQ, shout out to DCQ. Uh, he, he actually was one of the first to explain that story to me. Um, and apparently, that's what happened, I guess. You know, the, he got called to kind of see him and it turned into a number of things. Again, I wasn't there, so I can't really speak on it. But um, yeah, man, a lot of a lot of these things are true. OK, so I've got the vinyl here in front of me, right? So the little sound. Awesome. So we're going to talk about before we get into like favorite performances, etc. cetera. Um, mm-hmm. There's an anecdote we have about fame of well, performances at the Lyricist Lounge that we found out uh, with Young Guru earlier this year. But um some of your favorite celebrity hosts, because I'm I'm looking at the 96th, September 24th, 96th at Tramps. You had The Roots hosting with Dead Prez and Nonfiction performing. Jay the mm. Damager with the X-Men and House of Reps in December. Della mm. Soul hosting. Like, I think most effort hosted the first one with uh, mm-hmm. with Queen Nefertiti, who ends up being Foxy Brown. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who are some of your favorite celebrity hosts that, that you remember that stick out of your mind in, in all the time? Man, I, I think all that you just said, uh, are amazing, but one of the standouts was like uh, an impromptu pop-up hosting moment by Ice T. We uh, we had the show um, in New York at BB King's, and uh, uh, we the showcase was going. And at this time, uh, Master Ace and this this other MC named Boogeyman had had like a little riff on records, um, but we I had both that. of them performing that night exactly. And so somehow, I guess, backstage, some words were shared and, you know, this idea of them battling live there came about. And so we got Ice-T to, to, see, to, to host this particular moment. And I don't know if y'all ever seen Ice-T live. Like, forget what people know about him on television or music videos. Like, this man is just like, he's just, he's hip hop to the fullest. And, you know, it was just, it was an amazing moment. It was an amazing moment. He started off like, look, motherfuckers, let me tell you what the fuck y'all about to see right now. This ain't no punk ass, bitch ass fucking BT battle. So, you know, this is a real motherfucking <laughs> battle. This is the lyricist lounge. And hype this fucking crowd the fuck up to, to <laughs> on a level that no one was expecting. Um, and, and then at the end, you know, in his signature way, ended with something, you know, crude and crazy and shit. As you and, do. You know, he's in a, as he does, you know, and if there's any bitches that want to sit, you know, it was a whole, it was a whole thing. Meet me at the bar, like, you know, anyway, um, but it was amazing. It was amazing as all of these showcases have been. uh, Yeah, man. So, so that was one. Um, But everybody, man, you know, everybody, KRS-One, you know, um, you know, and it's just, it goes beyond the host for me. It just, it's been working with some of these legends that we really looked up to, you know, like we were fans. We grew up in this, in this, in the nineties culture. Like we were dancers, we were listening to all their music for years, you know, before working to them, you know, I, I, you know, as a kid, I had a, a framed picture of slick Rick by my bed for years, you know? And then when we finally worked with him, I couldn't even talk to him. I had to be like, yo, Danny, you talk to him because I can't really talk to him. He's like, yo, what, what do you mean? I'm like, yo, I'm, 
I'm bugging out right now. It's fucking slick Rick. Like I can't, I can't, I can't talk to him about itineraries and you know silly shit, you know. Um, and so, yeah, man, it, it, you know we're real fans, and you, you know, a lot of times you hear people talk about that, but it's it's important. It's important that you hear somebody that's involved in this culture say they were a fan of it because they're gonna deal with right. it different. You know, I've yet to hear a lot of these fucking big record labels or radio stations say, oh, yeah, I've I've been a fan of such and such. You know what I'm saying? I know all his lyrics. I got all his albums. You know what I'm saying? So, like, we're we're living in a different time now, you know, just to fast forward to now where, you know, we need to be very careful who we choose to work with. You know, we don't have to work with them the same way we we always have. You know, times, times are changing. This is a whole you know, a whole new world as, you know, I would love to, to talk about it and end the conversation with in terms of what we're up to now. Um, Chris, you want to go on to, to Yeah, I mean, look, similar question. What are what are some of your favourite performances? And when you think live shows at the Lyricist Lounge, like who comes to mind as being, you know, some of your, your, your personal favourites? Man, it's funny. As you say that, I see uh, several clips, video clips kind of jump into my head. Definitely Foxy Brown at 14 years old. Uh, in 1992, uh, even before that, I'd say, at, you know, Adolf the Assassin at 45 Orchard Street, you know, his energy level was just incredible. Then, yes, Foxy Brown, 1992 at the Muse, you know, her just coming up there doing doing her thing. And, you know, there's some video out there that we've finally shared uh, of her was amazing. Um, Biggie and, you know, all, all his the, the event we did, the Bad Boy launch party. In 93, hosted by Puff, you know, with Big as a co co host and like a perform, you know, full performance, headline performer. Incredible, you know, incredible. They did a whole moment where they faked the crowd out, you know, that that moment where, you know, something, something, and then a and then a fight broke out. You know, they paused the entire show. They looked in the back, they were like, yo, 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 chill out, chill out, yo, chill out. Like had the whole crowd, four, five hundred people turn around looking at this fake fight, and then just came back to the stage. Can't we just all get along? You know, like, like seeing seeing shit like that live. You know, not just on a record. Classic moments. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, from the Roots' first performance in in New York to Dead Press' first performance to you know Most and Quali and you know and Forte doing cert- certified live you know to, you know uh, uh, Big Pun and Fat Joe you know together you know Mob uh, Mob Deep MOP like I could just go on and on and on you know again these are some of these people's first shows man like it's not even just about have you ever seen them perform? It's like, have you ever seen their first yeah, show before? Yeah. You know? Is it true that Dead Prez used to come to Lyricist Lounge and give out fruit? Oh, shit. I don't know. That's a good that, one. Where'd I read this that? online. I think it was uh, like <laughs> if, if someone talking about the history of the Lyricist Lounge and they were saying that Dead Prez used to come in and, and, and give out fruit. And I thought to myself, that's crazy. But then I thought, be healthy, the song. That sounds like something they would do. I wouldn't doubt it, man. I'm going to have to call Stick or M1 up and ask them if that's true. I wouldn't doubt it, though. You know, they had a whole positive clan of, of folks with them at that time. And, you know, uh, I still remember Lord Jamar bringing their demo to our office, you know what I'm saying, when they first came to New York. Um, so, you know, again, classic moments, classic people. Um, and I think the Eminem show. So there was one show that we did that was like one of our most thugged out shows. It was hosted by Fat Joe, performances by Big Pun, uh, Fatal Hussein outsiders 
MOP and Eminem, right? And that meant that meant based on the names I said, you had the Bronx along with Brooklyn and not just Brooklyn, but Brownsville, right? East New York. And then you have Jersey with Fatal Hussein. And then 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 the other part of Jersey with outsiders. So you kind of have like not when you talk about oil and water, you had like three different types of oils with three different mm. types of waters, you know. And um, bro, it was just it was a um, it all turned out great. It all turned out great, but the energy level was incredible. It was the first time Eminem really performed in New York, you know, in a, in a room full of thugged out black dudes looking at him like, "Who the fuck are you?" This was not at a time where you know hip hop was allowing Caucasians in the culture that easy. If you were there, it was like, "Who are you with?" Because you're about to get you know test tested. You know what I mean? It it was not nice back in those days and he came through with outsiders completely surrounding him and murdered the fucking show you know and it was a great night danny let me ask you um obviously we have the the infamous battle on the krs1 show but what were some of your other favorite battles that happened at the lyricist lounge any battle that we ever had at lyricist lounge always been spontaneous it was never set up it was never you know like organized or anything like that um, it just happened sporadically. So like uh, one time, I believe it was like in 1997, we had, uh, I'm not sure who was hosting. Um, it was either J. Root or Damager or, um, or like Q-Tip or something like that. And it was over at this venue called Tramps in New York City. And um, so we had Clark Kent, DJ Clark Kent, he was working with this artist at the time. I forgot his name. I don't know, Ann, if you remember him. But uh, so he was working with this artist at the time and he was uh, performing. And then the artist was like, yeah, I'll, you know, no, Clark Kent was like, yeah, I'll, I'll put, I'll put money down if, if anybody wants to battle, um, my man right here, right? And then, so this cat, uh, AL, AL Skills, he went up to, you know, for the test and um, he went for the challenge. And the guy, and AL is known, well He's known nice. for like his freestyle, you know, skills and everything like that. And um, for some reason, like he choked and the guy got the best of him. And it was crazy because, you know, if you know Clark Kent, he, you know, he, he always feels like he, you know, he's he's the greatest of everything. So, you know, he was like so happy and proud and like boasting and bragging. And that really made his day and it made the, the artist day. I'm, I wish I remember his name, man, but it'll, it'll probably come to me. But I forgot. Mm. But yeah, that was that was a cool battle because it was just so spontaneous and it's all about the energy that comes from the crowd too, you know, like it was a different time in hip hop too. And um, you know, like we and with with Lyricist Lounge, we always had like uh like say like extended like you know, sub uh like genres of of the of the brand so like we started like this other like showcase called 360 back in the days and um eminem performed at that too one time and also um it was like a random another random night and 
of course, I'm sure you guys spoke about the the Craig G Super Nat battle, and we had uh, I believe uh, like Super Nat was either performing. No, Craig G was performing that night, and somehow Super Nat was in the building, and Super Nat was trying. You know, he was determined to get his you know redemption yeah and um and he did it like a lot of people don't even know about that battle but it happened and super nat like toasted craig g to a point that we were actually recording the battle i think it was on that on a dat tape and craig g took the dat tape and to this day he still has it so (laughs) wow so that was crazy too there's some video of that around too. I think we may have that video as well. And I still got to talk to Craig G about getting us the audio. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Supernatural did mention that on um the podcast with Talib Kweli. He mentioned that Craig G has the dat tape. Yeah. You know, you talk about how you you had these um other brands. One of the one of the things I loved about what the Lyricist Lounge did was the underground airplay um series. Talk about that whole cross branding exercise with Echo. And also, I want to highlight someone who was very integral in that is Nick Wiz. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite producers. Want to give him his flowers. Talk about that for me. I mean, there's so many crazy stories. I mean, with with uh, Underground Airplay, we had a good relationship with Matty C. And when he was working um, over at the Source magazine and, you know, he was doing unsigned hype and stuff like that. And we used to go visit him at his office once in a while. And we was just, um, you know, chopping it up, talking to him. And we saw this dope artwork on his wall. And Ant was like, oh, who's that? Yo, this dude is really dope. Who is that? And he was like, yeah, that's this cat um, named Echo. He was like, yeah, he's, he's, he's been doing like some, some stuff for the magazine, but he's also working on his own clothing line. And he's coming out with T-shirts. And Ant was like, yo, uh, I want to... I want to connect with him. I want to see if he could do like a mural for us. And he actually, Mark Echo was actually a fan of Lyris's Lounge. I think it was, I'm, I'm not completely clear on how the story went, but either he wanted to connect with us or we wanted, we both wanted, I think it was mutual. We wanted to connect with each other. And then um, we was doing a show over at uh, the Village Gate. It was like in 93 and you know, he he made a mural for us, and then like, then he did a mural for us live. Like, we just develop a relationship with him, and then he told us he was like, "Hey, look, I'm selling these T-shirts. If you guys could help me, like, get the word out there." And we actually was like his first sales reps, right. you know, for his T-shirts. And like, we used to bring T-shirts to different stores in New York City. And, you know, like, you know, talk to the people that are buyers for the stores. And we're like, hey, look, we got these really cool T-shirts. You're going to love them. Like, these, you know, there's the hot shit in the streets. And then he was like, I want you guys to, you know, I think it will be a good idea if you guys, I want to put out a tape with the shirt and give out the tape for free. And he was like, if you guys could executive produce the tape, that would be super cool. So it was like cross branding for him because we already had like a name out in the, you know, in the streets. We started producing the tapes. 
was like in a small studio. We had Rashad Smith, like as, you know, helping us like uh, produce the tape. And and then like uh, from, I think, volume two, that's when we met Nick Wiz. And, um, and we actually, I think that's, I'm not sure, and like, but you probably know more than me, but I think that's how Nick Wiz connected with Cellar Dwellers because at the time we were managing the Cellar Dwellers. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. What? <laughs> we were we were maintained man- management. No way. The Cellar Dwellers are one of my favorite groups. Yeah, we we was a, a, a very uh, integral part of them getting signed to Loud Records because they were, they were mm-hmm. discovered at Lyris' Lounge um, from... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Scott, Scott Free, free and mm. exactly, exactly. Wow, maintain management. Because of maintain management. I didn't know Pit. that. No. <laughs> we actually put the lounge aside for like a year to like really focus on their project. Like we, we were doing a lot of showcases and tour and everything before that. We were like, let's really focus on them. And it was a, it was a big life changing experience. We also could be accredited with. Um, at that time, we had because it was hard they, they were having problems marketing them they were like we're not sure how to really market them and then we were like look we did a whole proposal uh where we said give us the money to rent a van you know we wanted to rent a van and put their face on the side of the van so that we could take them around and around the, you know around the, the country you know and really just do like a college tour and so i remember sitting in front of rich isaacson and he you know co-owner allowed at the time and he's like, well, why would we why would we ever do that? Why would we ever give you money to get a van and put your, you know, your artist's face on it and drive around the country? And then fucking six months later, started a whole business strategy around getting people to get vans with their fucking face on it and calling it street promotion, you know? And so, you know, shout out to them uh, for being innovators. But look, at, at, at that time, man, it was it was a lot of beautiful things going on and uh, we, we were a part of it all in a lot of ways. And it's only when we hear stories from other people, we realize how deep the shit is, you know, cause we're not, we weren't, we didn't see it all from the other side. We, mm. we just were doing what we had to do, you know, what we were driven to do. But wow, man, it's crazy to hear it. I can't believe this maintain manage. Like, you know, when you're reading, I, we've got this thing, we love line notes, right? And, you know, one day we just want to do a deep dive on just all these random names and companies in, in the liner notes. I had no idea it was you two. I don't want to do the rest of the interview now. I can't do this. I'm, I think I'm gone. Dwellers, I'm you know. Gone. <laughs> I'm gone. Bruv. Bruv. Yeah. Uh, um, to your point, if you want us to fuck your head up even more, like um, if you have uh, the the first um, single from Rockets, uh, most deaf single, um, Ultramagnetic b-boys mm-hmm. ultra magnet yeah 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 look up open mic records and that's us yeah we brought most f to rockets records and we did the first release yeah but then we're left out of the album so that was a whole different story oh. record label is still sh- shady right? yeah, that, that, doesn't back then. Right? that doesn't change right? Come on. Come on. It, it isn't changed it's, it's not, it's not right? just the change. record labels the artist too. <laughs> oh yeah, bro. This artist too. Yeah, this would show. Yeah. This would show. But you know, it's all. It, it was all learning lessons for us. You know, like um, you you have to understand. We were young and we we learned on the fly. You know, like 
all these experiences we learn on the fly. We didn't go to school for it, but I, I say it's the best school to learn from experience. Agreed. I do want to share with you guys and also your listeners in terms of where we are now um, in, in time. And I'm not sure how many folks, obviously everyone now is aware of cryptocurrencies and uh, how things are moving and blockchain and, you know, this whole new world of Web3 um, and, and how, you know, Web3 is allowing creators and all creators, but especially creators of color to kind of be in a, in a position of power uh, as, it, as it comes to owning this culture of ours. Uh, we have developed our own token uh, that we want to announce. Uh, it's called BARS, uh, and we are currently developing uh, the white paper and the, the plan, the overall plan. Uh, this is going to be kind of a community token, uh, but we have 100 million of these tokens right now, and we will be putting them out in the market as a way to reward you know, uh, our, our family, our community uh, for supporting and being constantly involved with the brand, but also as a way to really raise um, the, the necessary funds to continue doing really cool projects. So, you know, we're spreading that gospel. We want to put that out there. Uh, you know, go to Instagram bars token uh, and follow us and just, you know, look out for a lot of the updates that are coming up. Dope. We'll make sure that we include that in the, um, the episode information as well for the listeners. Awesome. Awesome. Appreciate you guys. Man. Excellent. No, appreciate you. And thank you for taking the time. 30 years is nothing to sneeze at, man. Here's to another 30. <laughs> Thank you. Um, God Thank bless you. you both and uh, stay safe. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys, man. Peace once again to Anthony and Danny. Um, that was that was fun. We we got into a cellar dweller's bag there. Bruv, can I can I say something to you? Mm. That cellar dweller story messed me up. Yeah, it, it threw me off. You know, me and me and the missus we bonded over cellar dwellers. That was, I don't know if I've ever shared this. But someone tweeted before I met her, um, big up to a tribe called Rocks, who knows her hip hop and cellar dwellers. I say, yo, she knows cellar dwellers. Been together 10 years. Wow. Congrats on that. Congrats. Congrats. Safe. Congrats. Congrats. Safe. Congrats. No, but no, listen, listen. Your queen does, does, she does know her hip hop more. I think she knows her hip hop more than um, some of these podcasters. I am going to keep it. 100. No, she does. She does. She does. Um, one day, one day I'm going to get her to um, come on the show and perform Shook Ones. Top to bottom. <laughs> I'll get havoc for that. Not havoc. No, 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 she, she, she'll do it all. Okay. She'll do it all. Okay, fine. She'll do it all. Just on it. Okay, fine, fine. fine Safe havoc, but fine, we can do it. We got fine, it. Fine, fine, fine. Uh, but no, genuinely um, appreciate uh, the guys for their time. Um, yeah, I got knocked off with that cellar, cellar, cellar yeah. dwellers thing. I got knocked off. With yeah, that. I can't. I was reading up on the history. You know, guys like um, Car was mm. that lyricist lounge? Yes, he was. And it's just he was. It's um, was. it made me sad actually reading that because that kind of sense of community and camaraderie. I think as we've gotten older and, you know, just how life is, you know, gentrification and all these things, how it's impacted yeah. the live music scene yeah. in, in many ways. It's um, a remnant of an oft forgotten era. Yeah. Shout out to Philip Maynard, um, who wrote a really good piece uh, on that kind of oral, hi oral history of-, of That's what I read. Fan. Yes. Um, for, for Red, Red Bull. Bull. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. dope. So, up to him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you're right about the whole gentrification thing because it is- it's very important. You got to remember like back then when these guys were starting out in the, in the you know, early nineties, you know, the cops were as bad as they were now, right? When it comes mm. to shutting down venues of, of music that involved black culture, you know, there are stories of in, I've heard stories of artists talking about the engineers at the show would purposely mess up their vocals because it wasn't a rock band. It was a hip hop band. Yeah. Right. I, I remember Souls of Mischief 
um, saying that they were a jazz band right. just so they could get booked in certain venues because there was this stigma against hip-hop music. Yeah, that's mad. It's crazy. Like, look at London, bro. I can't tell you the last time I heard about an open mic in London. Mm, mm, mm. These guys were the, these guys were the, the, the pioneers they of were that. There. They were they the were pioneers there. of that. So we, I really, we... really, I really, really appreciate them for what they do because, you know, you, you the, the artists I'm in love with, they either came through there or they have some kind of connection to there. In terms of, you know, I look at it like being a chef, man. You might be able to cook different dishes, but there's always that one dish you love. Yes. And yeah. what they brought to the table is the dish I love. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate Absolutely. that. So, uh, yeah, peace to them. Um, we'll get them back again on the show. You can follow us on social media at Break the Atoms, Twitter and Instagram. Chris's handle is at I'm Kinetic. Mine's is at Hip Hop Chronicle. We'll be back with another episode next week. But until then, peace. Peace. Peace.